something a wee bit different with their service. Uh, I'm going to do just a wee bit for Father's Day here and then I mentioned a few other things. I'm going to cut and, and, and do a, a, a children's talk uh, and then we'll cut back and we'll do a message and uh, I'm going to change change up what I'm wearing just to kind of uh, make it look like it hasn't all been done this morning uh, so you'll uh, you'll notice, uh, you notice uh, the uh, lack of continuity in this stuff. But as we start our service, I do want to mention a few things. The first is that I'm going to be cutting back on, on some of the sermons uh, for the next few weeks just to give myself a bit of a break. It's been fairly manic over the last while, so I'm going to be dropping the Wednesday sermon for now. We're going to keep going with the Sunday messages. Also remember that if you want in on the church Zoom prayer meetings, let me know. I can get the details to you Thursday at 8 o'clock, our usual time. I'll email the Zoom details to the prayer partners group. And I'll email it around the small group leaders as well, and they can get it out to the groups as well. But those meetings are going to be about 40 minutes because Zoom charges for, for the longer meetings. And I'm still a Balamina man at heart, okay? So we'll start sharp at it and get to prayer uh, really kind of sharp. Can I also encourage you to be praying for our nation um, and its politicians after this evil vote to enforce extreme abortion legislation on our land, um, it's, it's just really sad. I mean, abortion is just anti-gospel. Abortion at its heart is one human saying to another, you're gonna die for me. The gospel at its heart is somebody who says, I will die for you. It's the complete opposite. Uh, and people are celebrating this and we need to be praying and we need to be preparing so that we can reach out to oppose and abolish this practice but to compassionately care and respond to the needs of unwanted children in the system, but also to the women who are having to deal with the hurt and guilt of going through this. So we need to prepare ourselves as a church. So let's be praying about that. Next thing I want to mention is Father's Day. I want to pray for fathers, but what I've noticed is that I'm one of those dads who loves a good dad joke. And by dad joke, of course, I mean a bad joke, but told with a real bit of confidence. Um, but I wondered, you know, when does a dad joke become a dad joke? And that's easy. It's when it becomes apparent. I just like laugh that one out there for a minute. 
But why are dads important? Many families survive and can thrive without one. Our courts will by default give deference to the mother. But a father does many little things that teaches children about real, what real manliness looks like. It's about going to get the car in the rain so nobody else has to get wet. It's about letting them climb trees and encouraging them to go higher rather than telling them to be careful. Fathers aren't afraid to be unpopular when they have to make the right decision for their family. Fathers wind up their kids just before bedtime. Fathers are the brave ones who catch the spiders and the mice. They're the ones who show children that strength isn't something that should be abused to enforce your will, but strength is something that's given and to lift others up and to empower. Fathers make bad jokes, mess around and win tickle fights. Fathers fix things. Fathers set the tone of the house and their attitude will determine if their house is a godly house, a house of joy and peace and love, or one where work is king, where TV disciples the kids. I found a statistic now, no dates attached to it. I do think it is dated, if I'm being honest, but the research conducted by the Christian Businessmen's Committee found the following. It says, when a father is an active believer, there is about a 75% likelihood that the children will also become active believers. But if only the mother is a believer, the likelihood reduces to 15%. Fathers, father figures are important. Imagine a father frantically pushing a wheelbarrow around the garden, trying to get a job finished before dark. His six-year-old son comes up and without even asking, grabs the barrow's handle. He wants to help. So the dad quits pushing and the barrow soon comes to a stop, laughing to himself at the boy's futile attempt to push it by himself. Now the dad wants to say, look, just get out of my way. But instead he says, here's some, I'll help you. And together they started pushing. The dad had to bend over and kind of walk spread leg to, to not bump into the sun. The job gets done, but a whole lot less efficiently than before because the boy's helping. <laughs> but suddenly it dawns on this father that this is the way our Heavenly Father allows me to help him build his kingdom. Picture a Heavenly Father at work seeking, saving, transforming the lost. And here I am with my weak abilities helping. God could do the work himself a whole lot better, a whole lot more efficiently, but he condescends to allowing us to work with him. What a privilege it is to minister with our father. A godly father takes time to include his children in every aspect of his life. He models appropriate behavior before them and more often than not they will follow his example. It doesn't always feel very efficient, but it's worth it. They may not always follow our instructions, but they'll always follow our example. They'll look elsewhere. If we don't set the example, they'll look elsewhere for an example to follow some way to help inform their opinions and their attitudes. Far better a godly father does that by showing them how to live out the word of God than some celebrity desperate for five minutes of fame or musician who courts scandal to boost record sales. The greatest truth or lifestyle we can show them is to point them to the Lord Jesus. Dads, do you, have you made sure that your children are saved? Are they sure about Jesus in you? How we live in front of them will impact them far more than any holiday we pay for or a present that we give to them. I wonder, men, do our children know that we'll be there for them? That we love them? That we long to boast in them? That we delight over them? That we will be an example for them to follow. 
you know, it's interesting at the baptism of Jesus, his father uh, says, you are my beloved son. You are. And then straight after this event, Jesus goes into the wilderness and Satan comes to tempt him and he says, if you are the son, then do this. Folks, never let your children doubt who they are in Christ and where they stand with you as their father. The world will be so happy to take up that influential position in their lives and begin to lead them away if we don't enforce it. There are so many compelling voices out there from friends, from media, from the internet, and most kids won't be able to tell the difference. So let's make sure they know for certain the real love of a father, the presence of a father. So let's pray. Now I've got this written out, so I'm going to just read it. Heavenly Father, the perfect Father, we want to just pause at the start of our service and say thank you for the role fatherhood plays in our society, the unique power our fathers have to shape us, inform us, impact us, and influence us. And so, Lord, we pray for our fathers everywhere. We pray for the fathers who work long, hard hours so that their families might be more comfortable. May they know how much that effort is appreciated as we acknowledge it to them today. We pray for those whose fathers have passed away. May today be a day of honouring them. May today be free from sorrow, but full of only the best memories. We pray for those whose fathers were not there for them when they were growing up. May you help those young men and women stand firm that they may go on to build a home where security is always present. We pray for fathers who are single and divorced. May God give you a strength to be fully engaged and unconditionally loving. We pray for fathers who have children with special needs. May their energy be replenished today, knowing that the reward in heaven will be great. We pray for fathers who have had to bury their children. God, will you fill that absence with your abiding presence today? God, we thank you for giving us these strong people, these imperfect people, these courageous people. And for the fathers watching here this morning, Lord, give us the strength and resolve to stay strong for our children, to be brave for them, to be loving and tender towards them. May we love our sons that they might want to become like us as we seek to be more like you. May our sons follow in learning self-sacrifice and humble initiative to cultivate a heart to lead and provide for and protect women and children, to be a voice for those who do not have one in our society. Help the men here in our church to be strong in your strength, that our sons may grow to be strong, godly men. May we love our daughters, not that they may become like us, but that I would raise up my daughters to be like the most important person on earth to me, my wife. I not only want to model self-sacrificial masculinity for them, but I want them to learn what it's like to receive and to be cared for by a worthy Christ-like man, that their sights may be set higher than the acceptance that is sought by in being objectified by men, but Lord, that they would seek to be treasured by them. May they know their true worth, because as a man I have shown her an example of true manliness, of caring husband. So Lord, we ask this in your precious name. Amen. And now we're going to go to Sophie for the children's talk. Hello everyone, I have taken over the talk today for the boys and girls. I am going to get my daddy to help to help me tell you about God. Daddy? Yes? How can I help? Will you sit on this folding chair? 
Sit on it like this, but I'll fall. You have to sit on the chair without opening it. John 5 now to go on with our study and I didn't plan for this to line up with Father's Day but this is the goodness of God again here but we're going to now be looking at God's will for us in terms of seeking and how we can come to him as a father you see we've seen that God's will for us is tied up really in 10 words uh, this is our seventh installments we've seen salvation sacrifice spirit controlled sanctified submitted on Wednesday we saw that God wants us to be satisfied and so now in seeking, that takes us to 1 John chapter 5, where in the chapter we read all about the confidence that we can have as believers. The first half of the chapter is about how we know we are saved and the confidence we have in Christ. And then we pick it up in verse 13. 
says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have towards him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. So in the middle of the talk of assurance and confidence and knowing that we are in Christ, John immediately says, well, if we know all that, why wouldn't we go and talk to him about what's going on? Why wouldn't you expect him to answer you? Because we know who he is. And that's a fair point, right? I mean, we, saw, we see all through the Gospels how Jesus cared for people in his earthly ministry. And yes, he performed those miracles to prove who he was, but he did the miracles that he did. And he did, the, did them with the people that he did because he wanted to show them God was not distant and uncaring and a stickler for the rules the way the religious leaders would, would have made him out to be. But rather that he's a loving father who cares deeply for his children. You might say, well, if he cared then to address the stuff that was going on in their daily lives, our unchanging Heavenly Father is still going to care today about what's going on in your life. And he'll care more than an earthly father, even on Father's Day. And so John says, this is the confidence that we have. But literally, confidence could be translated as having the freedom to come into the presence of the king and speak openly, to speak freely. So it's not just a case of, well, look, this is the king. You speak when you're spoken to. I think if I met our queen, uh, there'd be so many protocols. You don't get to just walk in there and start chatting. There are rules. Subjects don't get that kind of access. But sons and daughters do. You can come confidently into the presence of the holy, righteous creator, king and sustainer of the universe. And you as a child of God are free to speak your mind. That's confidence. Which means what we have to say would be quite interesting, right? Because if you have that promise that you can come and speak your mind to the king that angels dare not even look at but have to cover their eyes and feet with their wings. If we can come and speak to him. Surely we should think about what we say first, right? Because we will have what we ask of him. It's such a wonderfully humbling, beautiful promise. But there is a catch. There's a caveat here that this applies only when we ask in his will. And that's been the focus of our series, right? The will of God. We spoke last time about praying without ceasing. And I moved fairly quickly through that part, knowing we'd be coming here today. Because here's the thrust. When you absolutely know you are saved, when you know you're praying the will of God, you don't even have to hope it will happen. Verse 15 says, we know we have the request, present tense, as in it's already done. That's the confidence we have. And that's big. So let's just go back a wee bit and make sure we know what it means to be praying the will of God. I mean, are these verses saying that God will answer everyone who asks? No, God never promises that. James 5 tells us that the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. I paraphrase that by saying, when a godly man is on his knees, that's when things happen. But again, there's the catch. It's the fervent prayer of a righteous man. And we know that a righteous man is someone who is saved and being sanctified and is someone who has no tolerance for sin in their lives. 
So how do we pray in the will of God? Well, first of all, you need to be saved. The only exception to that is when someone comes before God saying, save me. But that's what 1 John 5 is saying. Like the confidence that we have in knowing we're saved, then we can come to him knowing. So as believers, we can come confidently. But that doesn't mean we're automatically going to be heard and get what we want. Listen to how Isaiah 59 starts, verse 1. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, or his ear dull that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he does not hear. Isaiah said, look, if God isn't listening to you, that's not on him. That's on you. Psalm 66 says the same. It says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. So our prayer life is still restricted, even as believers. John himself makes it clear. Go back two chapters, 1 John 3, verse 22. It says, whenever we ask, uh, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. So you want to pray in the will of God? Well, if you've got sin that's undealt with, you're outside his will. His will is that we be holy, for he is holy. That if we love him, we're going to keep his commandments and abstain from evil and do good. But if I'm regarding iniquity in my heart, if I'm disobedient, the Lord's not going to hear me because I'm living outside his will. So before we start going and asking for things, we need to remove the hindrance. We need to bridge that separation that we put there. God is not going to bless you while you're choosing your sin over a right relationship with him. How can he bless that? And actually, I suppose James was quite a bit to say about prayer when you think about it. Remember in chapter 4, he says you don't have because you don't ask. You ask and don't receive. And then he gives us the reason. He says because you're asking wrongly, you want to spend it on your own passions, your own desires. So between James and John, we we see that if you pray with the right motive, if you pray as a child of God in the will of God, you will have your answer. But it does kind of feel like we answer one question only to produce another question because the million pound question now is, okay, but how do I know if my motives are right? If we say, okay, I know that I'm not holding on to any sin, but how do I know if I'm asking for the right thing with the right heart? The answer is simple. Pray the word of God. Pray through the scriptures and you'll never be wrong. So be immersed and saturated in the word of God. Pray biblical prayers. So look, maybe you're praying at the minute, Lord, I really want that new car. Maybe he'll say yes. I can't tell you what God's will is in that. It's impossible to say on the authority of scripture, I know that this is God's will for you, so I'm going to name it and claim it and it ties in with God's plan. Just can't do that. But if we go to the Lord and say, in the courtroom of the sovereign sustainer of the universe, Lord, give me boldness to speak your truth to those who need to hear it from me. Lord, give me a boldness of faith. Give me a passionate love for the lost. Lord, may my life be filled to the brimming point of the Holy Spirit. Less of me, more of you. May I decrease that you may increase. I know God will answer that. Because God is more interested in who we are and less interested in the peripheral stuff in our lives. How do I know that? Because Jesus said so in Luke 11. He said, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? 
So I can pray confidently because I know it's God's will to give me to the Holy Spirit. And when he gave me that promise that when I pray faithfully in the will of God, I'm taking it right from the word of God. I'm going to have the answer to my prayer. So know the word of God, know its values, know its principles, know its context. Or let's make it even more simpler. When the disciples asked Jesus to teach them how to pray, he said that when you pray, pray our Father who art in heaven, hallowed or holy is your name. Your kingdom come. So what they're saying is, Lord, okay, first you, God, first you, and then we can start talking about the daily bread stuff afterwards. Just imagine if we filtered all our prayers through the filter of thy kingdom come. So Lord, if that new car will open doors and genuinely be useful in building your kingdom, grant it. Now I say genuinely because I know many Christians who will hypothetically use things for the kingdom, but God knows that they're really not. Oh, if I was a millionaire, I'd give so much to missions. Right, stop lying to yourself. Stop lying to God. <laughs> but if we say first, Lord, glorify thy name. Magnify thy name. Build your kingdom. Give me the tools to make that happen. And Lord, don't burden me with the things that will distract me. Oh, oh, oh. oh what does that do to your prayer life? Huh? It will radically impact how we pray and what we pray for. How we come before God. Is what you're praying for going to glorify God? Will it build his kingdom or is it going to build your name, your reputation? Why are you really asking for this? Because I could pray that AEC becomes a mega church with hundreds getting saved every week. But if I'm asking while thinking about how famous and well-liked and how popular I'm going to be and how my book deal is going to sell, I don't think God's going to feed that selfishness, do you? let's change the scenario. Maybe you're really struggling at the moment, and I mean really struggling. Can I suggest that instead of saying, Lord, if things don't change, I'm giving up. I'm going to quit on you. I'm quitting on this relationship. I'm out. So Lord, make my life easier. Make my life more comfortable. I don't want to do this anymore. It's honest, and I can never fault someone for being honest with God. It's the only way to be with God. And I appreciate that that is the cry of a despairing heart. But can I suggest a different approach? How about if your prayer sounded something like this? Lord, I confess I'm really struggling. I am overwhelmed. But I also know that you promised to never leave me or forsake me. So Lord, make me conscious of your nearness today. Lord, help me to lift my eyes beyond my circumstances to you. Your word in Psalm 55 says, when we cast our burdens on you, you'll sustain me and not permit the righteous to be moved. So Lord, keep your word, sustain me today. Lord, if what I'm going through is the result of my will over yours, help me bring myself to your will. But if this is your will for my life right now, then so be it. But Lord, guide me through. Lord, speak clearly as I read your word. Lord, move me from fear to faith in you. Sustain me. Two different prayers, right? Both in response to the same frustration and hurt. But one says, I want out. The other says, I want you. 
One says, I want my burdens lifted. I want comfort. The other says, I want your will to be done. Both prayers acknowledge that it's hard and you're hurting, but only one of them acknowledges God. Praying through the lens of thy kingdom come will change how we pray. It will change what we pray for because our heart and our concerns move in line to the will of God. That's why Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then all these other things that you're asking for, all these other things that you're worried about, they'll be dealt with afterwards. Uh, I'm nearly done because I'm sure that you will have it underlined in your Bibles. You'll have it in bookmarks and all other things. And you'll say, but Jeff, Jesus himself said, ask whatever you want. Jesus said that, right? Huh? Gospel of John, chapter 14, verse 14. Ask me anything in my name and I will do it. He said that. But you got to know the context. The verse before, verse 13 says, Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do. That the Father may be glorified in the Son. So there's the motivation right there. If you're asking something that's in line with God's will and is going to build his kingdom, then ask whatever you want. And you'll get it. So we can see that Jesus requires us to still have this caveat of these restrictions in what we pray for. And besides, it's spoken to the disciples. And before these verses, he's already defined what a real disciple is. If we're to be his disciples, we have to deny ourselves, pick up the cross and follow him. A disciple is someone who's denied himself, who's denying living for himself and instead has picked up the cross, the picture of sacrifice, the picture of the cause of Christ. And that's where we put our weight and that's where we put our focus. If that is how you are living, if that is what you're seeking and pursuing, then listen, on the authority of scripture, go ahead, ask whatever you want, knowing that you're looking for the same things that God is and he will grant your request. So if you need that new car to advance that, if you need to move jobs, if you need that treatment to work or whatever it is, we're praying this is for your kingdom. I want what takes me to that place. Just come with me in it, Lord. You will have what you ask and you will have every resource that you need. So seek him. Seek his face. This is God's will for your life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us to pray more biblically. Lord, rather than just going through the rehearsed things that we say and falling to the default phrases that we've coined over the years. Lord, may we be reminded to whom we come. Lord, may we be reminded of, of the throne room of God and what it is like to stand in the presence of God when we pray. Lord, that we come to a place where angels have to hide their faces. Yet we can come as children of God. Lord, help us to sort our priorities. Help us to seek your kingdom first. Lord, may we seek your face. May we seek your will. Lord, may we seek your blessing. And I pray, Lord, that as a church, as a nation, we will see prayers being answered all over the place. Because finally your people are in line, are in tune with your will for us. And this we pray for your name's sake, for your glory, for your kingdom. Amen.